when I'm in my office and I sing out loud with my headphones on so that no one else can hear me. Well, I don't think anyone can else can hear me because I can't hear myself, but uh, it's a great song, isn't it? Uh, just really hones in that uh, there is nothing else in this world that matters apart from Jesus. He's the one that we need more than anything else. Uh, so we've been thinking about, haven't we, as we've been thinking about raising our spiritual temperature. How's your temperature going? Have you taken your temperature lately? Uh, how have you been thinking about where you're at with God at the moment? Are uh, you testing the waters? Have you been there for a long time? What's your spiritual temperature? Well, we've been thinking about that over the last few weeks. And we've been thinking that when we think about what our spiritual temperature is, we actually need to look outside of ourselves. Uh, when we look in, in one sense, we can see what's going on, on the inside. But to change that spiritual temperature, we need to look out. Uh, and we saw that, first of all, we need to look in to the Word, into the Bible. Because that's where God speaks to us. We need to look into His Word. We need to spend time in His Word. We need to think and pray and listen to His Word and His Spirit speaking to us through His Word. So we look in. And then we look up, don't we? To our life of worship to God. That every part of our life is to be lived for Him. Every part, 24-7, everything that we do. Worshipping God's not just when we sing, it's not just when we gather, it's the whole life thing. And when we look up and we worship him in everything that we do, it changes things, doesn't it? It changes perspectives. We look in to his word, we look up to worship him, and then we look out at each other. That was last week, wasn't it? We are a gift of God to each other. And we need to get together. We need to gather together. And we need to encourage and spur one another on to love and good deeds, to live for Jesus, to live that life of worship, to get our eyes and our ears and our minds into God's Word. We look into His Word. We look up to worship. We look around us to each other. And then we look out into the community. And that's what we're going to be thinking about today, that you and I are on mission together, that collectively we're on mission together, that we're going to go out together. Uh, I'm going to play to you the uh, Fiji when they start a game, and let's just listen to them as they're on mission together.
good is it? And at the end of that game, they got smashed. But they, they were pumped, weren't they? They were pumped because not only were they there together to play a game, but they were there together because they are on mission together for Jesus. Uh, if you hear what happens in the Fijian team, uh, some of the people who come into that who aren't believers are changed. Uh, Jared Hayne says that that is the place where his life was turned around and he started to believe and trust in Jesus was when he played with the Fijian team. Now, I'm not sure what Jared's up to these days, just changing clubs and moving around the place. But it's, it's phenomenal. It's that sense, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever played in a team, uh, be it football, be it hockey, be it whatever. But when you're together and when you're on the one thing and you're going in the one direction, it is a phenomenal force. And the motivation that you have in a team just multiplies out. Uh, And and when you're on a team like that, who around them, uh, all this is about capitalism, money, power, and their team says that actually first and foremost is Jesus. And they sing hallelujah. That's a powerful force, isn't it? And in one sense, that's us. We're on a team. We're on Jesus' team. And together we're a powerful force for him in the community. And we're going to be thinking about that today. What does that look like as we're on his team and we're sent on mission for him together? We're going to read from the Bible. We're going to read from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And then we're going to jump into a couple of other passages. They'll come up on the screen and Betty's going to come and read them for us. Thanks, Betty. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The next one is from Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age the next one is acts chapter 5 verse 42 Day after day, in the temple courts, 
and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The next one is Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Uh, interesting, aren't they? Uh, first two passages, who are they uh, being spoken to? It's Jesus speaking, or, and uh, what is he saying? He's saying to who? His disciples, and what does he say to them? Go, doesn't he? He sends them. Uh, go and make disciples. Uh, he sends them out into the world, and he says, go. He says, I'm going to send you out there, and you're going to do it. Now, I've had some people tell me, well, that was only for the disciples, wasn't it? To go and be sent. Well, what happens in the next two verses in Acts verse 5 and Acts verse 8? Who's out there doing it? Everyone, isn't it? It's not just the disciples. It's not just the blokes that Jesus spoke to who were there right at the time, but it's all the followers of Jesus. Uh, that as he speaks to the disciples, uh, they take it and they speak it to others who then take it and speak it to the rest. And it goes on, doesn't it? So Jesus sending us is that he's sending all of us into the world. We're actually sent people. All of us have been sent into the world to be on mission for God in the world, to be out there telling people about how great God is and how wonderful Jesus is. That's what he's done. That's what he told us to do, hasn't he? There's a great quote from a guy called Alan Hirsch. Every Christian is a sent one. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. We're not called just to sit. Jesus doesn't bring us into his family. Jesus doesn't say, come and sit and do nothing. He says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. It's this in and out version, isn't it? You come to me and then you go. Uh, you come and you grow and then you're sent into the world. That's a great thing, isn't it? You and I have been sent to go out into the world together to bring the good news of Jesus to those around us. Uh, I don't know whether you remember that I told you a, an illustration of a number of, uh, probably early this year I think it was, uh, where there was this uh, young boy who was sitting in his house back in the 19th century when they used to go around and they had to actually light the lights. You didn't have a little flick and you turned them on, but literally you had to go on get on a stick like that and he had to light the lights as they went around the town. And this little boy was sitting in his room and as he was looking out from his room and he saw this man going around, he said to his mum, he says, Mum, there's a man punching light into the darkness. It's a good picture, isn't it? There's a man punching light into the darkness. That's us. God has sent us out into the world, into a world that doesn't want to know him, doesn't know him, Punch light into it to shine how great he is and wonderful he is. See, we know that we've been taken from being outside of God's family, brought into his family in Jesus, made his own by Jesus, and then he sent us out to be light in the world for Jesus. Jesus says that we're to be a light on the hill, isn't he? Who puts a bushel over the top of it? No, he lights so that it shines out to the world around us. And we are sent out to do that. 
you and I are sent to go and take that out there. So I said, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. None of us are brought into God's family to just sit in God's family. It's a challenge, isn't it? We are brought into God's family to go out, to see more people come to his family, to become part of his family. That's what we're here to do. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, doesn't he? He says, go out, make disciples, tell people about Jesus and then teach them about everything that I know. And what do we do when he teaches them everything? That's to send out again, isn't it? To go out into the world again. You see, Christianity is a movement, not an institution. That's what people think, don't they? Oh, it's religion. Christianity is just this institutionalised mock-up of who God is. It's not that and it never was that. If you think about what happened to Christianity, from the very beginning, it was Jesus plus 12 of his mates and then it grew from there. Uh, there was no specific organisation. There wasn't Presbyterianism. There wasn't Baptists. There wasn't Lutheranism. There wasn't an organised church body. It wasn't institutionalised. It was a movement. And that movement was so phenomenal that within a couple of hundred years, the known world, the Roman Empire, turned Christian from 13 people to a whole empire proclaiming to follow Jesus. That was a movement. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That changed the world. And that has continued on, hasn't it? Uh, And when you read studies about how did that happen, uh, it wasn't because people were really well theologically trained. It wasn't because they had a particularly fantastic strategy. It wasn't because they had great music and great buildings. Now, don't get me wrong, all those things can be helpful, by the way. But that's not how it grew. It was a movement of people who went out. What did Acts 5 and Acts 8 say? They believed and they went out to households. They told people. They, they, they were excited. They were out living it and sharing it. And they were out there. And they say that what happened was that people, as they did that, as Christians, as people became followers of Jesus, then they looked radically different to the world around them. They lived in it. They weren't separate from it. They lived in it, but what they did is they got their hands dirty within it. So they were the ones who were helping people out in prisons, who were taking food to them. They were the ones that when the plagues and everyone got sick, didn't run away, but got in there. They were the ones that said, well, we're not going to abort our children if they're girls or kill them, sacrifice them when they're girls. We're actually going to love them and grow them and... We're going to look after them because they were doing that in dramatic fashion. We think the world's bad today, boys and girls. Man, you should have lived back in the Roman times. They were sacrificing their children. But Christians got in there and people got better. And babies weren't aborted or killed or sacrificed. And they were in there in prison. And it was a movement. It was a phenomenal movement. And as they did that, They showed love and care and then they preached the gospel within that. They showed it and they spoke about it. The two together. It's a phenomenal movement, isn't it? 
And that's who, that's who we're, that, we're part of that. Uh, we've been brought into that. God hasn't brought us into that so that we can have this lovely building. He's brought us into that so we can go out and share that message with people. So that more people can know the loving God that we have and the wonderful salvation we have in Jesus. And you see, the best training for being on mission is actually going on mission. He's actually getting into it. Sometimes we think that's a bit scary, don't we? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it just means, as we've been talking about all the time, it's about being on everyday mission. It's actually living our lives with missional intentionality. That is, everywhere we go and what we're doing, we're always thinking about how can we live for Jesus in this? That's what a life of worship is, isn't it? It's every part of our lives we're thinking about how do we live for Jesus in this? And as we're living for Jesus in this, we're thinking about, well, when God opens that opportunity, I'm going to speak about that. I'm going to show it. I'm going to speak it together. It's not forced. You're not trying to drag someone behind a building and smack him over the head. You're not trying to fudge it. You're not trying to con people. You're not trying to do that. You're actually just wanting to live it and share it. And we're going to do that on mission together. You see, when we go out from here, it's not just individuals doing this, but it's actually us together doing it, that we are on mission together. All of us. Living for him and helping others to live for him. We want to encourage each other in that. We want to get together in that. We want to actually go off into town and we want to do that together. We want to join the clubs together. We want to be in the Bowls Club together. We want to be down at the Living Museum together. We want to be at Touch Footy together. And as we're living it together, then people are going to see it, aren't they? I've, I've dodged it up. I saw this picture as I was going through images and I was thinking, uh, you've heard about uh, centrifugal and centripetal forces? Uh, have you heard about them? So centrifugal forces, you spin stuff and it goes shoom. Okay, it goes out. Centripetal goes, spins and sucks in. Okay, they go opposite directions. Right, who's the science people around us? They can tell us if that's true. Uh, so uh, what, uh, what we're thinking about, when we think about who we are as followers of Jesus, in one sense there is a centripetal force that we come into Jesus. Jesus draws us into his family, doesn't he? But he doesn't draw us into his family to stay there. He draws us into his family to throw us out into centrifugal force. So God's got the, all the forces working together, hasn't he? He's got the one that brings us in and then throws us out. So if you read through Acts, people are saying uh, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, you hear that as people were living for Jesus, people were attracted to that and they came in. But they didn't stay that way, did they? They, they went out. So it's shoom, 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 all the time. It doesn't just stay one, it goes both. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That's who we are. That's what God wants us to do. That's what he wants us to be part of because that's his mission. And we want to be on that together in everyday life, in all the things that we're doing. Uh, so I'm going to show you a clip now of some guys in America who are part of uh, Saturate or Soma community. And they're just going to tell you how they're doing that in their everyday life. And hopefully I'll encourage you, you can do it as well. Go up, guys. Can you see it? Yeah. 
day commission for me is in uh, Wicker Park, Chicago. For me, it's basketball. It's going to cafes a lot. I work I office out of cafes. It's just getting to know the people that work in those cafes, getting to know their stories. One of the people I'm praying for is our next door neighbors. Those group of six guys living in that one house. A bunch of college kids that go to UT, but they're music majors. Baptizing people in our park sphere where we play basketball. The guy who runs the dog park actually started following Jesus. You just hear music going on in the house. And it's so funny how the Holy Spirit speaks and uh, going over just to hear them practice. Seeing them on the front porch playing the guitar, singing songs, and just creating conversation. Recently somebody I met that uh, had a lot of bad experiences with the church and bad experience in life. Her and another friend, they said, you know, God can't exist, you know, he's so mean or he allows all these evil things to happen. We just started walking our street that we were new to. We took cookies. We actually took something to our neighbors instead of our neighbors bringing to us as we moved in. And I was trying to debate with them, but eventually I just had to break down and explain why Jesus meant something to me. And I thought I had failed, you know, I thought I'd failed God, failed Christ. I was like, I didn't, I forgot all my little points to the arguments and all the little apologetics. God opened um, the door to some really amazing things, including knocking on a door and a lady opening the door uh, to a very dark home and she was in a very dark place, and she had just said out loud in her living room, I just need something, I just need something. God has created opportunities, whether it be in a coffee shop, whether it be on the street, because we do a lot of homeless ministry, but just being able to approach people and hear what's on their heart, ask for an opportunity to pray with them. And we knocked on her door, and the first thing we said to her was, is there anything we can pray um, for you? And she cried and we prayed, and she invited us into her home. We've been working on getting a good reputation with our neighbors, so like there's a widow that lives a couple doors down, and she's inviting us into her home. She's just said, hey, can I just hang out with you guys? It's amazing how, how willing people are to um, have you pray for them if you just ask. It's slower than what we thought. You know, there's a, there's a tendency for me, especially just to say, hey, we need to get going. We need to create relationships. We need people to come to Christ and get people in the church. But they need to witness the resurrection of Christ, you know, like in me. And it takes time. We started walking outside, and um, this girl said to me, hey, what you were saying about Jesus, really interested me and I want to talk more about it if, if you'd be willing to. So over some time she came back to the faith and discovered a whole new way of looking at God and Christ and uh, now she's in ministry and doing more things in the church than I was doing. Just let them know, hey, we are here for you, we care about you. We don't want to shove the gospel at your face, but we want to know that we want you to know that you're loved and uh, we care about you. Different options, isn't it? They're just living life intentionally, uh, loving people, and when they get opportunity, they're sharing with people. It was great that guy said, I forgot all my points, my arguments, but in the end, he just told them about uh, what Jesus meant to him, and then that opened up the door for a person to come and ask him about Jesus. What about the one when they knocked on the door, and just that moment beforehand, a person had just cried out to God? We don't know, do we? We just don't know. And then the opportunity, they said, that, can we pray for you? Uh, they're offering to pray for people. Uh, all those, just those little things, aren't they, that God uses to bring about people hearing about how great Jesus is, how wonderful he is. Uh, and we do that together, aren't we? And there's benefits to that. It's a great thing to be doing. And if we see, basically, the two things these days, wasn't it? It was authenticity and integrity. Because uh, authenticity is magnetic. It attracts people. When people see authentic people today, it attracts them. 
look at our politicians. They don't look authentic, do they? And people are turning away from them in droves. The one uh, who I think, not that I'm really into him, but Barnaby Joyce, has probably been one of the more honest guys out there and they turned to him in droves in the last election up there. He got in by a 14 or 15% swing. I think people actually for one point in time saw a little bit of authenticity about what's going on and thought, that's what we need, don't we? That's what we need. I'm not telling you to vote Liberal or Labor, by the way, or Barnaby Joyce, but I'm just saying there was this element of, he was just honest there. And you see, when it comes to us, for people who don't know Jesus yet, the thing that they need to see first and foremost is authenticity and integrity. That's the new apologetic. People aren't swung, these guys, by the fact that you've got a better argument than they do. Okay? They want to know that you love them and you listen to them. So many people out there, they just don't listen, do they? You talk to most people, they just tell you everything about themselves. It's all about them. Very few people listen. And when someone does listen, you're attracted to that, aren't you? When someone deliberately sits down and listens to you, you go, oh, wow. And that's so big in the community around us because so many people have got stuff going on in them, but no one's listening to them. If we can be an ear that listens, that is huge. And an ear that prays and an ear that follows that up and asks them about it, gives them a phone call who shows that we care, then God will open up that, won't they? And they'll say, what is that person on about? I don't know if you've ever seen this film. It's a film about Robert Kennedy's assassination. It's called Bobby. And in this film, there's one scene that they have and there's a black chef there and a couple of others and then a Mexican waiter. And they're having this discussion between the two. And the black chef is really calm and collected about what's going on. The Mexican guy who's the waiter is getting really frustrated about the injustice that he sees, all the stuff that's going on around him, and he gets really angry. And then the chef turns to him, and I'm going to have to read this because I can't remember it off the top of my head. He says this, as he turns to him, he says, uh, look, he says this, you know your problem, kid. You've got no poetry. You've got no light. You've got no one looking at you and saying... Man, look at McWhirl. I want something that he's got. The chef had it, didn't he? You can be angry, you can be, you can be out there and frustrated, but people don't want that. But if people look at you and say, wow, I want what they've got. Because we've got what people need. It's Jesus, isn't it? That's what people need. They don't need our life. They need Jesus who's in our life. And we can tell them it's not just us. Our lives are pathetic. That's why we sang that song, Lord, I need you. By ourselves, in our own sense, we're as cactus as everyone else in the world. This is a quote from uh, Steve Timothy. He says, Our lives are the evangelistic event. Our lives together are the apologetic. Uh, we lived in a time didn't we, where it used to be the big... big uh, uh, Bill Newman Crusades, that's where I was converted, it was a good thing. Uh, or um, the other big crusades that used to be happening, you know, where you just put up a tent and then people turn up and if you could give a good message then people would believe. Now, occasionally that still works, don't get me wrong, occasionally that still works, but generally it doesn't work today. 
because people don't, couldn't care less if you set up a tent. They don't really care what you want to say, but when they see that it's real in your life, when they see that you're authentic and you've got integrity, they say, I want that. That's the lives that we want to live together. And when we do that together, it's a powerful movement. It's not an institution. We're not inviting people to church. We're inviting people to Jesus and the movement that he is. That's what we're on about, guys. I want people to come to an institution. We want people to come to Jesus and know him. And if we do that together, when people see that together, that is powerful. So authenticity is magnetic, isn't it? And when you see that multiplied by a number of times, it's a movement. Just imagine I came to you one day and I walk up to you and I say good day. I said, you can't believe what I've just been. I've just been to Air Force Beach and there's just dollars washed up on the beach. There's thousands of them. They've just been washed up. You can go around and you can pick them up. It's fantastic. You're looking at you what have you been smoking, man? Woo, you're on a trip, aren't you? That's not, doesn't happen. That's crazy. And then as I'm talking to you, another person comes up and they go, look at this, this money. I've just been on Air Force Beach and there's all this money out there. You go, you'd be looking at that person and well, that's weird. That's strange. But there's two, there's two. Change the perspective, don't it? Then you start to see a whole group of people. So there's five or six of them coming up and then there's seven of us standing there. Man, you should see what's at Air Force Beach. There's just money washed up on the thing. You'd be out of there, wouldn't you? You'd go there straight away. You'd be running there so you can get some money yourself. See how it works? One person, you think they're a bit weird. Two people who think, oh, there might be something in this. A group of people who believe this and live it authentically, man, there's got to be something in this. I want to go and check that out. They've got something that I want and we can show them what they want is what they really need is Jesus. This is a quote from Jeff Fantasil. He says, We need to see our need for Jesus. We need to see and know others' need for Jesus. Then we need to give one another the truths of Jesus to change us, to empower us, and allow his spirit to work through us effectively. We also need to experience God using weak, tired, broken people to do amazing work. You see, that's what happens when you're on it together. When we're on mission together, when we're living this together, we see that we all need Jesus together. Come and spend a bit of time with me. You'll see I need Jesus. I spend a bit of time with you. I know you need Jesus. When we do that together, we know that we all need Jesus and together we can go out and we're on mission together and we see how exciting it is that everyone needs Jesus. And we see the amazing of work of God that he works through us. The fact that we are broken people, not perfect people. Who need Jesus? We're bringing that to a broken world who need Jesus. We're on mission together, guys. We want to raise our spiritual temperature, then we need to get on mission together. Do it together, deliberately together. You see, raising our spiritual temperature requires a number of things to happen, doesn't it? And I've just brought to you this last four weeks, four of them. We need to look into the Word, into the Bible. We need to look up in worship to God in our whole lives. 
We need to look across at each other and see that we are a gift to each other. We need to gather together to encourage one another, to spur one another on to live and look to up to God, to live for him 24-7, to spur one another, to look into his word together so that we get on mission together because we've been sent out together. And when we do that, guys, together, our spiritual temperature is going to rise and God will use us in his mighty movement to bring the good news of Jesus that everyone needs to hear and know about to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just take a moment now. Lord, in the middle of all that's going on in our lives and all that's happening around us, so much stuff wants to drag us in so many directions, wants to take away our energy, our enthusiasm, wants to take away our love for you and our joy in you, and wants to focus it in so many other places, Lord. And Father, we can feel dry and we can feel empty and we can feel cold when that happens to us. But Lord, we come to you this morning, we come to you, Lord, on our knees before you, Lord, and we want to ask you to step into our lives, Lord, that you will change us and give us a fire from within, Lord, that as your spirit works within us, as we look out into your word, as we look out to you in how we live, as we look at each other, as we look out to our community and sent by you into that, Lord, that you'll raise our spiritual temperature, that, Lord, we will grow in our love for you and, Lord, we will be on fire for you together, Lord. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'll do that through us and within us and that together, Lord, we'll spur each other on to live lives that are hot and on fire for you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll raise our spiritual temperature. We thank you that you've given us these things to help us in that. But, Lord, ultimately, it's you as you work within us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for how wonderful you are. That, Lord, we are broken, distraught people without you. But in Jesus, Lord, you are making us whole. You are rebuilding us. Lord, you are forming us more and more like Jesus and into your family and into the movement, Lord, that wants to bring how great you are to the world around us and the community that you've placed us. Heavenly Father, do a mighty work within us. Heavenly Father, help us to encourage and spur one another on in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.